You're not going to find a catchier song than that this year. Welcome to episode 11 of the Counterforce podcast. I'm your host, Aug Stone, and we're just listening to Dream Phone from Fight Milk's debut album, Not With That Attitude, which is out this week. The whole album is great. It's one of my favorite records of 2018. Every song on it is strong, and really isn't that how an album should be? I spoke with Lily and Alex, who started the band, and I must say this was one of the funnest interviews I've ever done. There's a real camaraderie between them, much good-natured ribbing, and you get a real sense of them being a band. They're also huge music fans as well, so we went off on many a good digression. So let's get to it. Right. Hit us. Cool. (laughs) So tell me about when you first fell in love with music. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... um... I don't know that I fell in love with music, but I think I had a really bad crush on it when I was about, I must have been like 11 or 12. For some reason, I got mad into this band called The Proclaimers. I don't know if you know The Proclaimers. Oh yeah, 500 Miles was a big hit. Ah, yeah. Yeah. The thing is, there's so much more to The Proclaimers (laughs) than 500 Miles. Every single album is a banger. Um, Have you seen the musical? There's a musical? Sunshine on Leith. Oh no, I haven't. No. Oh, you're not. No. You're not here for the jukebox. No, I'm canon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, no, I got like mad into the Proclaimers and then wanted to play guitar and do a questionable Scottish accent, and then kind of got like really into age-appropriate bands such as the Libertines and uh, who else was I? There was a really big Vines. <clears throat> phase oh, I was back well there. into the Vines, um, and then like kind of hole and you know just angry guitar music like loud and fast and punky yeah i'm glad to say that now music and i are very much in love and in a long-term committed relationship and it's all sort of panned out quite well from my wobbly proclaimer beginnings (laughs) that's the best answer i've had so far (laughs) today (laughs) oh great the pressure's on now oh yeah my parents were a little older than Lily's parents, so I got in through the standard boomer route of Beatles, Stones, etc., which I got very, very obsessed with. But I think it probably took getting into the Manic Street Preachers at a wholly too early age. Like, that was probably the gateway because they were one of those bands. I think it was the first time that I'd had, had this thing with any band where, like, they reference so much stuff and so much other music and so much literature and all that like it's kind of a cliche amongst manix manix fans to say like oh i got into this book because they mentioned it in the liner notes or something like that but you know i'd I'd read about how they like the smiths and that's how i first checked out the smiths and you know oh they like guns and roses let's see what that's like okay maybe that's a bit (laughs) actually i tell a lie i had i think i had the first few guns and roses records for a while, I think I now only have appetite. Rock and roll. Hey, they have they have their moments, but I do. Rocket Queen I'm, is an amazing song. Exactly. <laughs> the like ending they, of that. Well, wow. that, that album has some. If if you can call an album that sold that many records an album that has deep cuts, that record has deep cuts. Sure. But I now work with someone who is a total Guns N' Roses obsessive, so anytime there's an open playlist in the office. November rain will come on just so she can maximize the real estate and that's that's really put a wedge between me and Axel. So Alex's answer is Guns N' Roses. Yes. Really. I think is what you're saying. Here. Yes. I mean it's And the it's, Mighty Mighty Boss Stones. 
It's easier to defend than saying the Smiths. <laughs> At this juncture. Yeah, very good point. What's your favourite Manix album? Probably Everything Must Go, because that was the first one that I got into. <clears throat> but I, the, I, I feel like I've spent more time talking about Lifeblood just because I'm a really staunch defender of that record. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it, it works for... Don't look at me like that. <laughs> It's just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it is about that record. It's so unlike any... Maybe it was because that was around the time I was getting into the Pet Shop Boys that that record came out. So that kind of sort of icy, synthy thing doubled up on itself. And I don't know. The short answer is everything must go. So tell me how the band came together. Well, That's an even more convoluted story than how we first got into it's a bit, it's, it's a bit of a trek, this question. So strap in. It spans um, decades and cities. Yeah. So back in the days of MySpace, Alex and I met online because we were both well into music and we met up and went DJing at the Bloomsbury Bowling Lanes together. Yes. Um, and then oh. we dated for about a year, which was not our best decision. No, we definitely made wiser no. decisions. Yeah. But we were like basically children and, you know, then we had a big falling out and we didn't talk for ages because, because I went... was an asshole. Because uh, I went to university <laughs> because, you know, that's what you do that's when you're that you age. Do. So we yeah. didn't speak for... I think we spoke intermittently for maybe seven or eight years. Yeah, yeah, didn't talk for a long time. And then... Still don't, really. Um, and then I can't remember why we got back in touch. I, I think because we were both living in other cities for university. Yeah. And, like, we kind of... When we were both back at our respective parents' houses for, like, summer or Christmas or whatever... I think, you like, you go home after university and you realise... There is no one left. Yeah, they're all in other They've cities. They've all moved on. The, they're all yeah. fine. Alex, you know, still floating around like a dead pigeon in a bath, obviously. But um, what? Nah, it's fine. <laughs> but dead pigeon in a bath. Just, you know, hanging around in London like a dead pigeon in a bath. But there's so, so much <laughs> to unpack. There. I know. But uh, anyway, long story short, we just started hanging out and talking shit about music again, and realised that obviously. Because we both moved back to London in the wake of like two really nasty breakups. Yeah. For both of us. Both moved in with our respective parents. Yeah. Yeah. Both tried to save the failed relationships with trips to Amsterdam and like that didn't work. So, uh, ended- yeah. <laughs> Based on two true stories. Incidentally, we have a single. But uh, yeah, then we moved back in with our folks. And then we just go out and get hammered all the yeah, time. Yeah, we used to go to the Brixton Windmill quite a lot. And see bands and be like, this is shit, we yeah. should be doing this. And, and most then, of the time it was something I was involved in on yeah. stage anyway. So you were definitely like double, yeah. you're like, no, exactly. you can oh, do better. Man, why are you doing this? We should, if we were in a band, we'd be so much better than this. So then, I, remember, I distinctly oh, remember the conversation happening about 2.30 in the morning. We were both like several beers deep mm. and many like far too many packets of Marble like Reds. I feel like Keith, into Keith, Keith the was, Pops might have enabled us. A Keith bit. was definitely hovering over, just going, "Oh, I hear a band forming." Yeah. <laughs> As is his one. Yeah, <laughs> Hark, a new a fledgling exactly. band. Oh, the- <laughs> um, and to the Batmobile. Yeah, so we pretty much started writing like once the hangover cleared. Yeah, and then <clears throat> Adam. I knew through our mutual friend Miles, they were in a band together and they crashed on my floor when I lived in Leeds. And I remember I went to this club night that Adam used to run called Passionate Necking and I 
corn which is no more because mm. the venue shut down because mm. london yeah and i remember cornering him outside very drunk both of us and just going hey hey man you, you, you still play bass yeah and he's like yeah sort of eyes oh, darting around so who's this guy can can, can we maybe like security security mm. no i was starting a band it's really good and you should play bass and yeah. it'd be great and I remember the next morning messaging him <laughs> sheepishly, just like, are you still in on that whole band thing, maybe? Also, ow, my head. Mm. Where did Nick come from? Okay. The, the sky. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this, is also, this is less humiliating for me than, the, than, than how we got Adam in. Oh, yeah. So I was doing this one-off cover show, and the theme was 1995. And Good we were year. doing a set of songs from The Benz by Radiohead. And Nick was on drums. I kind of tenuously knew him socially. We didn't pick the set list. The guy who was singing picked the set list. And one of the songs that he picked that we all, everyone in the band but him had a problem with was the song Sulk, because it's objectively the worst Radiohead song. We all really hated it, but we could do nothing about it. So when it got to the show, Nick did the only act of noble protest that anyone on stage could. When it got to the key change, he stood up as 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 any self-respecting boy band member would and i just remember seeing him standing up and going that's it there that's he our is. drummer that's our baby boy <laughs> there's there's our big tub thumping boy exactly get that guy in here and then we all went out for drinks like the week before we planned a rehearsal maybe mm-hmm. because we wanted to make sure that we got on yes which and we did. It worked out okay. Nick smuggled in McDonald's yeah. because the kitchen had shut, which I think was... No, I think it was because the burgers at this place we went to were like £15. And he was like, fuck that. I'm going to go and get a Big Mac. Who wants one? And then he came back with like four in his coat, like it was full of Rolexes or something. So it was pretty good. It was like, and this that... guy's okay. This guy's a good guy. That's, so, yeah. that's why he's the backbone. <clears throat> yeah. Where did you go? Uh, that was the... Prince of, Wales, the Prince of Wales in Brixton. Yes. Where there is now a blue plaque that we put up that says that we first met there. Yeah. Excellent. And that's how Fight Box started. <laughs> what were the first songs? So we wrote, um, I think, Pity Party. Four. It was, yeah. Pity, Pity Party, Party, Admin. Bank of Mum and Dad. And one that never saw the light of day. What was that? That was DTF. DTF. We wrote a song called DTF. and uh, we No don't one play will ever anymore. hear it. But there is... I mean, they've heard it. It wasn't good. Well, no, the band have heard it. Did we? We no, did we it didn't live. Play... No, we never played it live. We did. We did it in the Gunners. No, we definitely did not play it live. <sighs> as, to agree a... to disagree. No, but... I literally... God, I, I'm admitting this on air. I have a list of every song we've ever played live and every song we've ever rehearsed. And DTF it's wrong, is not though. on the... Anyway... I can so guarantee you we didn't play DTF. Pity Party, Bank of <laughs> Mum and Dad and Admin were our first oh, the big three. three. Keepers. The big three. And, then, and all of them kind of, yeah, about splitting up with people and moving back in with your parents. And I mean, they're, getting so, a shit job. they're so right about what you know, you know? Yeah. So, um, and we lack imagination to do anything else. Yeah. Oh, what, what, what can we write about? We've got no relationships. We've got we no live, house. We live with our no parents. Job. Let's write about all three of those things. That's relatable content. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about choosing the name. Alex? No, I'm letting you have okay, this. You... Fine. There's a list of names that we were mucking around with. This we agonised over this for ages. Uh, I, this was on a 
Saturday or Sunday night in June 2015. And I remember because we were, you were with your parents, I was with my parents, and we were all watching Suede at Glastonbury. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just terrible. Because half of the awful. half of the messages were like band names, and half of the messages were Wait, you Jesus messaging Christ, me either that or messaging some of the awful stage banter that was yes. going on from that gig. Yeah, my mum, I remember while we were talking about trying to you know think of a band name just interjected with cocaine's a hell of a drug isn't it (laughs) (laughs) oh i thought your mum was rick james (laughs) cocaine's a hell of a drug isn't it yes Um, hence the the list is on twitter somewhere because i think we posted it yeah you might have posted it like the year after yes there's an anniversary post but there was scumbags with bum bags um, uh, both types of hay fever. Both types of hay fever. Doctor Mantis and the Toboggans. There are a lot of always sunny names. There what? are a lot. <laughs> Doctor Mantis and the Toboggans. There are a lot. That's of amazing. <laughs> where does that come from? That's that's from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's where Fight Milk's from as well. Oh, okay. Because we were just marathoning this TV series because and... we had nothing else to do with our exactly. lives. Exactly. But we had a list of names that came from Always Sunny. We had a list of names that came from Father Ted. They oh mainly, yeah. They mainly came from you, and I'm still Father kind... Spodo Komodo. My favorite is still to this day. I wish we called the band Father Brian Eno. Father Brian Eno. Because I think we would have got away with it. Yeah. I don't think we would have got sued, maybe. Yeah, I think also there might have been, that would be an ecumenical matter, but that's quite wordy and you can't really fit it. So Next album. Next album. Next album. Um, but yeah, Fight Milk is a, a fictional protein drink. In, By bodyguards for bodyguards. Yeah, made of crow's eggs and vodka. And, and it's milk. in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And I think maybe like the week that we did our first gig or something, there was a new episode of Always Sunny that brought back Fight Milk. Like they brought back the joke. A sign. Yeah, it was very convenient. For it was us. a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People googling fight milk wouldn't find us for about five hundred pages. And but, now I think you know. we've kind of SEO'd the crap out of it. I think mm. we're beating actual always sunny. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. For anyone so. searching fight milk. <laughs> Mum, Dad, we've made it. Yeah. Yeah. SEO Janet. How did that first gig go? Which was that first gig? That was the Gunners. Where we didn't play DTF. <gasps> that was amazing. It was, that was like, a wicked gig. Was, oh, I think it was so good. We, having Keith in your corner really helps. Um, I don't know. Has Keith come up as an entity on this podcast before? Does I'm, he need explanation? Yeah, explain Keith. He's like the ghost of Christmas future at this point, isn't he? He just is there, waiting, in his, in his waiting to catch the bands. As he's they just the most benevolent. He's he's a patron of the arts, basically. He's the rock lobster. Anyway. First gig was wicked, and but yeah, having Keith, having Keith and Yukon already helped. So basically, yeah. he knew that we existed. He sort of, I feel like he encouraged as many people as he knew that we also knew, and maybe were thinking about maybe going. We to made come a lot of us. friends, actually. Yeah, yeah. So and it also because it was a, people. it was a night that was being put on by the singer in the band that Nick was also in at the time. Um, oh, Paul Hawkins and the Awkward Silences. Yeah, yeah, and. He also works with he works for a charity called Attitude, Attitude is, everything. is Everything, which deals which is all about accessibility at shows. So one of the things that he makes a big deal about at the gigs he puts on are having the lyrics on screen while the bands are playing, and somehow it syncs up. It's amazing. Yeah. But like a few people have said that like having the lyrics like on paper while we were playing like 
really helped appreciate what we were doing because mm. we're relatively because lyric we're driven. Very, very, very wordy. And yeah. you know, the punchlines don't really land if the PA's crap. That is true. That is so, true. Yeah. I love playing the Gunners. We've played there quite a few times, and and now it's like five minutes from my flat, so we should definitely do it again. We should. Yeah. And then the next day, we went in and recorded. We went into the studio that Keith runs and recorded literally every song we had, mm. and one that we didn't have. Yeah. So that was a very very hectic three days. One that you didn't have. We weren't going to do it, and then we had recorded, a spare ten minutes. Yeah, we recorded the backing tracks for nine songs in eight seven or eight hours yeah and then he we went to the pub we went back to the studio and he was just like got time for one more if you got one yeah which like we should we do that one we then? shall make one <laughs> so that was some boys i thought um, that was nobody hates you no one cares no that we didn't that we did sober we did it in one take but we definitely did it sober Maybe it was some boys yeah and some boys mm. nobody hates you no one cares i just think you remember we had a thing where like we're only you everything is going to be one take Mm. So whatever happens in this one take, that's going to be the one we put out. Yeah. Because when I was doing the one extra guitar on that song, I was sort of flailing about and thrashing about with it. I had like the amp all turned up to full. I had like five pedals on full. Like Slash. Like Slash. Except unlike Slash, my guitar fell off midway through. And I just had to muddle through because one take. Nobody would know He's because Studio Magic. Such but a pro. I, you yeah. just got to stand up for what you believe in, Lily. Mm. <laughs> so you recorded nine songs, ten songs then? Ten songs, mm-hmm. which we thought was the album, but that was mainly because we didn't have any other songs at the time. Yeah. And I think of that ten, of those ten songs, the first EP is four of those, the second EP is three of those, and one extra song that we recorded later. Mm. Two... Two of the other ones we put on the both types of hay fever compilation, and one we've just never put out. Which one's that? Marriage Pact. We we oh. We put it out on SoundCloud for like a week. We should get that out again. B side, maybe. <gasps> yeah, so only one <clears throat> song from what we thought was gonna be the first album has made it onto what turned out to be the actual album, mm. which I still think is probably our first real song, which is Your Girlfriend. Mm. I mean, it's also our longest song. And probably that's how you know it's real, because it's long. Yeah, I was going to go through the songs in order in a little bit, but uh, let's talk about your girlfriend now, because it's an anthem. Oh, she's lovely, yeah. isn't she? Yeah, I, I absolutely love the song Your Girlfriend. I think wrote it in about 20 minutes after we did a, a Bowie night at Genesis. Oh, did you write it back that, like, Yeah, wow. it was a long time ago. God, I forgot about that. I didn't realise that was um, where it came from. Yeah. Makes sense, but yeah. I didn't realise that was where I came from. And I wanted to write something in three, and then Alex made it sound like Weezer. Well, I mean, you good. made it sound like Weezer because you wrote it in three. I just threw in the bridge that was basically just every song in Pinkerton in a blender, mm. which was Weezer what smoothie. I, which was what I did with our songs at that point. I was in a very bad emotional way, as established. We both were, and I dealt with it by listening to Pinkerton because I'm a just hideous cliche. <laughs> human being with a beard attached to it <laughs> and i really did like i literally went like me sense i really hated that song it's okay and it's okay. i like the riff in that song was me just trying to sort of ruin it a bit and how 
petty is that, by the way? Oh, no, like, I will admit I was being that? a dick. Yeah, but, I mean, you were. But tell me that riff doesn't rule. It does rule. There we go, case closed. Well, it came, it from a, it came from a place of grumpy instead of a place of love, and it should have come from somewhere, in, it should have come from a place of lumpy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my lumpiest riff. It, but it is a great. I'm not. It is a great you know, it song. took me a while to come around to it, but I think that was one that we always ended with, and mm. now it's now I quite like opening yeah. with it. Just it's get. so much fun to sing because it's so it's quite difficult and like you know you have to properly shout and you know it's 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 nice. I love playing it. I never ever get bored of playing it. And I just like that it's. In a bunch of songs that are very, very heavily indebted to Weezer, that's still the Weezeriest moment, and that still gives me a fair amount of joy until we cover "Hold the Line." Yes, yes. Where did the name "Both Types of Hay Fever" come from? Where did it come from? I think it was just a random thing you said. I think it came from. So okay, I, yeah. So I mean, as a brief explanation, I don't know this story. This there is are exciting. two types of hay fever. And I've got both of them. <laughs> there's the hay fever that like makes you sneeze and stuff, but then there's also a hay fever which is a bit more uh, hardcore. Right. And I can't remember the exact difference, but I remember like... One's more hardcore. Yeah, basically. One's got X's painted on its I little, went, I went little to hands. A, I went to see a doctor because I thought I had a chest infection. He was like, no, this is just hay fever. You've got both types of hay fever. I was like, oh, fuck. Wow. Right? Yeah, damn. But both types of hay fever is like no one knows that. That's a good fact. You can have that fact. That there are two types of hay fever. fever. Well, I mean, we remind. And I've got both of them. <laughs> I'm so glad that it was just a title <laughs> and not a song that we wrote. Such a great Tinder profile as well. Like, well, <laughs> it should just be a, it should just be a box you can check. Like types, types of hay fever. Yeah. None. One. Both. Both. Yeah. But I don't know why we used that, really. I think it's just a funny phrase that has always made us laugh a little bit. And well, it's made me laugh. No, I mean, I'm in fact, I've got no gripe with them. I'm glad we went with that instead of calling that EP collection Scumbags and Bumbags. That'd be the next one. Oh, I will, won't it? Yeah. Do you have hay fever, Alex? No. Um, which, like, <laughs> I feel like I'm tempting fate here, especially now that summer's been Are gone. Are you sure you there's... haven't got the third kind? There's the next EP collection, the third, the third type of hay fever. fever. You should just put out an endless series of EPs, like the 15th. Yeah. <laughs> I keep there. discovering more and more mutant types of hay fever. Yeah, we're down with science. So there's nothing left. Yeah, yeah. I can get behind that. Sorted. <laughs> but no, no hay fever. No. And I feel guilty. You should. Every summer. So to those listening, this is the collection of both your EPs with two extra songs, yes. Some Boys and Nobody, Nobody Hates You, No you. One Cares. Yes. So, yeah, Some Boys was the one that we went in after the pub and got a bit pissed and were like, oh, we can do this, it'll be fine. And that was probably the one that involved the most additional work because we're like, right, synths, hand claps, backing yeah. vocals. Like that, we, we didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. It's super catchy. And we never play Thank it. You. We should. We should. We should bring that back. It was a B-side, wasn't it? What no, was it was just on that. For? It was just on that thing. Really? We, didn't, we don't have any singles. No. <laughs> Not in this economy. No, we don't. Yeah, we should bring that back. Yeah, we should. I like how you guys are so into backing vocals. They really help make a pop song. Thank you. I think that's partly Keith. Or at least the number of times we have to sing the backing vocals is definitely Keith's doing. Mm. But I, d- I really, re- I, I love male backing vocals on like 
a female lead. I think it sounds lovely. And I can't remember. Um, there's a Kirsty McColl song where it's just gorgeous. And I mean, that's literally all of them. Yeah, but there's one where it's like, oh, I don't know which one it is, but I'll get back to you. I'll email you afterwards. I really like, want to know which oh, one it is now. Yeah, maybe it's, oh no, Terry's got her doing backing vocals. This is going I can't think of one that's got, a, like, apart from one that's got, like, the one with Billy Bragg on it, which is rubbish. Yeah, that is rubbish. Anyway, I, to cut out a load of crap, yeah, I think that male backing vocals sound lovely. And uh, not just any backing vocals generally yeah, cajoled like, you into doing some, and then no, recently... I was always, I think I was always into it, but mm. just the actual like, I like it in theory, but then actually having to sing, yeah, just is terrifying. To it's me. easier doing it live, isn't it, than it is recording, yeah. Um, and then like cajoled Nick into doing some as well, so I can have the boys doing some harmonies, and like there's yeah, a lot, it's like, working really nicely. A lot of the bands that I've there are a lot of recent bands that have sort of caught my attention do that as well. Like, since we started, like, most of the bands I listen to were just bands that kind of sound like what we're doing. Mm. So I'm sort of trying to take, like, when we get together and write, I will occasionally, like, say to Lula, oh, my God, you need to check out Charlie Bliss or something, as if you haven't already. But, like, we'll both be, like, nicking different bits of what they're doing because, but, like, there was a point to this. Backing vocals. That was it. Love them. No, and like the Beth's record as well is really good for that. And mm. like particularly the Beth's record, I'm now thinking like next stuff we start writing, we need to really, really harness the backing vocals. Yes. You can cut that out. <laughs> so I had a point somewhere. Long tangent about backing vocals. Mm. Backing vocals. I like them. I think they're good. Mm. I agree. <laughs> cool. So the album, Not With That Attitude, is out November 2nd? Yes. Tell me about making the record, because not only is every song strong, but it also sounds great. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Um, um, sure. Wow. Okay, we made it over... It took us such a long time. It took us ages to make this fucking record. So, um, like, you know how we said that, like, we thought the first ten songs we've recorded was the album? Then maybe six months later, we, we just got we'd written a bunch a of better. other songs. <laughs> And then we were like, okay, we put some out, but then we'll add those to what we've just recorded, and then that's the album. And then we kept going back and recording more songs. And, yeah, mm. it, it took... Well, I mean, as well... 18, but, it was like 18 months stretch of just yeah, write, record, write, at record. Least, at least. Like, we went about it the absolute wrong way. Mm. Like, the recording itself was great because, like, Keith... Well, we weren't able to do it very often because, obviously, you know, Keith is a very busy dude and... His studio is studio. like a legit studio. It's very intimidating. But we were kind of at the mercy of, of when they were available. And so we'd kind of do two days here and there. And then there'd be nothing for like four months. And we'd go back in and be like, ah, shit, this is all wrong. Mixing you know, oh, it. by the way, we've got another <laughs> six songs. Can we do those two? Yeah. And then, yeah, it was mixed and mastered uh, by Adrian Hall who he recorded our friend Dexy's album yes. which is brilliant it's lovely it's just it's a lovely great record. old country you love it if you haven't yeah, heard it really I worth checking what's the name of it called tear it down by Dexy a little I plug hope. for Dexy there yes um but a yeah Adrian like has a shed in his garden that he creates amazing things in and we sort of gave him all of these quite like rough and ready sounding things and then he just made them sort of sound a bit like 
Britney Spears. Yeah, it just sounds <laughs> like huge. Cool, well, I mean, Britney Spears is the coolest woman alive anyway, but like a cool Britney Spears, <laughs> like with a K. And it's okay in Britney Spears. Shut up, Alex. <laughs> um, yeah, he just made it sound massive in a way that I don't think any of us expected it would. Yeah, yeah. I think especially um, like solving crimes in Sweden because we had a couple. Of, we had our friends Phil and Melissa who play saxophone and trombone respectively oh. come in and just sort of do these very foghorny soundy. Adam's Adam was the, we left Adam in charge of that because it was his idea to get brass on, yeah. and he said like colliery band like. Welsh mining yeah. brass. But Sweden. But also Scandinavia. Yeah. So yeah, like we just had this lovely sort of sort of nice brassy foghorn sound and Adrian lifted that up and you can hear it in the record, like it's just there and it just sounds kind of far away, but it's I don't know, I think it's it's my favourite bit of the record actually, just the brass on that song. So yeah. That's surprising because it sounds very cohesive, not that it was done over a long time sporadically. That's very kind I think, of you to say. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe because, like, the songs themselves kind of chart. This sounds really wanky, but, like, if, like, the first stuff we did was, like, us completely flailing in, like, our general lives, I think we kind of wound up writing our way out a bit in so much as, like, we looked back on the bad relationship stuff and we could laugh about it. So we wrote a song about... We wrote a couple three all of the songs about that you know uh we wound up in new relationships and that we, we actually wound up being able to write some nice relationship songs which I, I don't think either of us expected we would do i think what happened as well and this might sound a bit self-indulgent is there are bits on it where early on i think because we were both so obsessed with music and with bands we were like oh when we make a band it should sound like this band and we should try and do a song that sounds like this and you know this is a great album let's do stuff that sounds like this and then sort of the more we wrote together and the more gigs we did and the more obviously we were able to record, we're like, actually, no, what we're doing is fine. This is actually really good and we're getting better at it. And yeah, I don't know. It sounds it sounds very fight milky to me. That's I think the next record's going to sound more fight milky. I'm still not entirely sure, mm. but... I hope so. What were the most recent songs you wrote for it? Solving Crimes in Sweden. That was the last one, and, wasn't no, it? No, Over was the last one. Oh, Over, yeah. we wrote that, I think, in about half an hour. Like, we would do, we finished Solving Crimes in Sweden, mm. and then we were just like, okay, let's just write a song. Yeah. Like, before you leave, before Actually, the pizza's ready, yeah. before the pizza arrives, let's write a song. Actually, it, like, I'm going to slightly go back on <laughs> what I just said about, we're not using as many influences this time, because Over came out of me just listening to nothing but Bruce Springsteen for yeah. about three months and going, damn, if I could drive, I'd really write a heck of a driving song. I still can't drive. But yeah, I was like, I want to be Bruce Springsteen. I want to drive a car and take mirror to the fair and that kind of thing. And that's where over came from. So we lit like, it's weird because usually with writing, like we have sort of, we kind of postal service it a bit like oh, we've got just, a hell of a whatsapp conversation yeah whatsapp conversation with like sound files we'll email each other lyrics and then we'll meet up when there's already like 60 percent of a song there and knock it into shape mm. whereas like over was completely just us together yeah in this room sitting across from each other you said over you say over was your favorite as well it, it's kind of been changing over was my first favorite and i still uh -huh. love it but yeah i love it's such a 
a pure song, like that feeling yeah. in it. Yeah, you got the sort of more biting comments on relationships, you know, on the earlier stuff. But over is just just this wonderful feeling. Oh, mm-hmm. thanks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like I don't it's, think it's Springsteen all... ever did a bit of relationship. So, no, he probably did, didn't he? The but... river. I'm oh, not about his relationship though. It's not really him. Mm-hmm. You know, he does characters. That's why we're not good songwriters because mm-hmm. he can he can write. Mary. Pretending to be other people like Mary yeah. or Johnny. Oh, Mary and Johnny. Or Bryce. I, I think, oh. Can't see the inverted commas there. No, um, no we've got like, I, I think, yeah, we've got, I think we've that's got like, three, we've got three pro- love songs and that's probably our least cynical one. So. Yeah. I was yeah. just going to call it our nicest, but I think that's the least nice, cynical is probably nice the best way of putting song. it. Nice. Yeah. Cynicism is good, but it's always very refreshing might not be the right word, but you know, to have it not be. Yeah. Think, yeah. It's, it's, brave i think if you can do something and it you know you can if, if you can sort of do something that is honest and true and and talk about it or you know write it without sounding extremely schmaltzy and overly sentimental then that's sort of the sweet spot but yeah it's very easy to be down and cynical and also we're you know, british everything's and shit. this is shit oh it's cool that it's shit it's a really british thing yeah we're so. british and we can't sincerity is really hard to harness like I, I always think about the sort of eddie argos talking about the response to emily kane in the uk versus the response to that song in the us where everyone in, in america was like oh my god that's such a sweet song if you've like spoken to her and everyone in the in the uk was just like no you're just taking the piss out of emo love it mm. ah we're horrible <laughs> we're such a horrible country hey that song that song worked for him oh, though no, totally. you know it's a lovely song but yeah i think i think it's a lot harder to write a sincere nice song than it is to just slag yeah. everything off without it turning into the greatest love of all <laughs> I, for one, do believe that children of the future. Just putting it out there. You're absolutely right. Teach them well. Let them lead the way. The way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess we're going a bit out of order, but tell me about solving crimes in Sweden. Uh, so this is real. This is a real joke with myself, I think. Uh, <laughs> so a little while ago, I got to watching just a ton of Scandi crime dramas and... It it sort of started off with the Millennium Trilogy with Elizabeth Salander. But yeah, got to watching a lot of Scandi crime dramas. Um, I live with Nick the drummer and it's his influence. We watched a bit of The Bridge as well and, um, you know, The Killing. And the nice thing about all of these TV shows is that obviously they're really dark and tense and there's this sort of do-do-do-do-do-do-do very sort of rhythmic electronic soundtrack through all of them. But if you just sort of if you're a bit of a loser like we are you can just sort of enjoy how grim and dark it is and how this techno music's happening and go solving crimes in sweden solving crimes in denmark solving crimes in sweden which i realize makes us sound insane and like we need to get out more but um yeah it sort of became a bit of a the song itself is kind of more about how it would be nice to literally run away from everything and you know just go and live in the beautiful fjords and solve crimes like saga and yeah sort of throw off the everyday life stuff and go and live out this scandinavian crime drama dream which not everyone has i appreciate that (laughs) but yeah it's quite funny though because the boys were all like oh this is a song about you know having a cuddle with your boo and 
it's a metaphor for escaping together and for loving each other and, you know, solving crimes in Sweden. It's like, oh, I'd do anything with you, even going to solve crimes in Sweden. It's like, no, it's literally about going to solve crimes in Sweden. It's a very literal song. Thank you. That's all right. I've just explained solving crimes in Sweden. You tell them about how it's a very literal song. It's a very literal song. Awesome. Have you been to Sweden? No. But Lily but does a nice. Lily does own a nice knitted jumper. I have a nice knitted jumper. I have some. You Swedish almost feel like you're beans. there. I've got my Fjällraven Kanken bag there. Bless you. Yes. Um, no, I, I. In my mind, it's like, it's it's Mecca, but it's probably fine. Like, there's probably nothing that special about it. No, you, you guys need to go and play. It's yeah, awesome. They love pop music. They make some metal there. Yeah, they but make they make metal they, they also make the best pop. They do. They literally do make the best pop. They make they make all the best music, really. I can't think of a band that's come out of Sweden that I haven't loved. There are some probably some middling twee pop bands that I saw for five minutes. I, in I love tracks. middling twee pop bands. <laughs> yeah, they're they're my favourite kind. I can't argue with that. I, I just wanted to double check whether or not you chimed in about Adam playing the piano on that. Oh, Adam played the piano because on that. Because that was, was nice. so good. It was lovely. Like. We just, the, I just, he went into the room with the piano, and then the three of us were just like almost conducting him mm. at one point because he was sort of he was playing it without having worked it out, and he was sort of trying to work out when to change. And like the three of us were just sort of making conductor arms, yeah. and obviously this being a podcast, you can see me waving my arms. Yeah. But it, it made was, it actually, yeah, him adding the piano made it sound really nationally. That it was yeah. like the start of Vandalal Crybaby Geeks or something. And yeah, it's like yes, this is what I want. I mean, they want you to sound like the national. Do more. Yeah, so, that, yeah. I think that's the, the other thing as well. It's like the national is one of maybe five bands that we can all agree on. Oh yes. So I think any opportunity we can get to seize a moment where we can all go, I, I like that. I see Let's what you did there. Let's write a national there. song. Yeah. Yeah. You know that's few and far between. Yes. What are the other bands you all agree on? Carly Rae Jepsen. Robin. Excellent. There's a new album Pop. coming out. It's- Yes! Yeah, very stoked. So excited. But I do feel like Missing You never quite drops the way I want it to. Is yeah, that just me? I, I think I, it needs to grow me, but I feel maybe it'll work on the album. Mm, I don't might know. be right. It's, I love e- Either way, I absolutely trust that it's going to be the greatest thing I hear all year, unless Carly Rae Jepsen drops a surprise album, in which case my head will explode Scanners style. Mm, mm. But I think that is it for bands the that National we all The National Carly like. Rae Jepsen, Robin. Is that it? Possibly, like it's that it's that limited. There are things that wow, that there probably, really is it, isn't it? There are probably more things We've got that just Lily and I like than there are things that all of us like. I think we all there quite are, like Bjork. I think I'm the holdout there. I think I've got a cutoff with Bjork. Maybe after Homogenic, I just don't dishonor. No, I right dishonor I, on you. I distinctly remember dishonor one on time. Car when the first year that we knew each other and we went record shopping on the sat it was a saturday and you got the bjork album we both got new moon by elliot smith and i got uh send away the tigers and it was that week they all came out at the same time i feel like i, and I think we just bought the drift which is a very bad move you did buy the drift oh my god that scott walker phase was hilarious that was very dumb no one should buy the drift it, make, it was not a relaxing time. And we spent ages trying to find that uh, responsibly sourced beef for Adam to punch on a track, and we never even used it. It was a whole... 
The yeah. Scott Walker influence is latent, but it's there. Mm. So, yeah, the big three, Carly, Robin and the National, which yeah. is like one, of, my, one of these things is not like the others. But also my dream dinner party guests. Yeah. Who knew? Maybe Bonnie Tyler. Oh, her, her, no, that does. No, no, that's, no, no, no. Three, the yeah, big the three. three. <laughs> Let's bring it back to Fight Mill. Four Star Hotel. <laughs> Four Star Hotel. Yeah. We touched okay. on this earlier. Do you want to talk about this one? Well, I guess we kind of addressed it. Four Star Hotel is in no way in the no way embellished version of what literally happened when Lily and her then boyfriend and me and my then girlfriend decided in the last months of our respective relationships that we should go on a holiday in an attempt to save those relationships. And yeah, whatever happens like everything that happens in the lyrics happened to one of us. I freaked out in a weed cafe. I think Lily was responsible for the awful, like the the photographs where you're just forcing the smiles. The twin beds thing definitely happened because that was probably the first inkling that I was like, okay, this relation, this holiday is not going to work. Like we got to the hotel, got to the room thinking, oh, cool, romantic getaway, blah, blah, blah. Literally two single beds in the room. Brilliant. Okay, push them together. Nothing's going to happen. So weird. I think, yeah, the song came out of when we realised that we both had that godforsaken experience. And I just remember, I, I think I messaged Lily on WhatsApp. I was just like, that with the first two lines of the chorus, how can I convince you that we're stuck? A four-star hotel, we still didn't fuck. And I was just like, can you write the rest of the song? Because I think I've done everything I could possibly do. That's my, yeah. You'll, you'll prop up the rest of this better than I could. I feel like we wrote the mute. Do we? Hey. Hey. Do we write it in, like, in a sound check? Like, the music? I think so. But I think it started off with you going... <laughs> no, I thought that came at the end, the fake Eddie Cochran thing. Oh, I couldn't tell you then. Either, yeah. E- either way, like... Yeah, that was a weirdly uncharacteristically speedy song for us to write, mm. which was nice um, and a good way to sort of mask any residual trauma of. Have how... you talked about the Amsterdam? I have. Ah, good. And, and the, the the fact it's all true. It's all true. Everything happened. What happens in Amsterdam is the first single. <laughs> yes. So why was that chosen as the first single? Because it's it... a rip rollicking good time, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think the yeah the real reasons are boring and adminy. So let's go with the rip rollicking good time. I think I think it's because it was going to be a toss up between that and how you move on. But we wanted to do the video for how you move on. Exactly, um, which wasn't ready yet. And I think four star is maybe a little bit more energetic, and it's a bit it's a bit more fun. It's a bit funnier than how you move on. Yeah, maybe it, I think kicks was the, the door down a bit better. Yeah, and it's a good way of introducing ourselves a little bit and getting people to sort of go oh i too have been on a terrible holiday to amsterdam with an ex that i you know have residual resentment for um this relates to me i relate to it good i will now buy this on itunes for 79k processing feelings in the name of capitalism yeah sound like simon that's a good album title How does that relate to hay fever, though? How can we make it relate to hay fever? It all relates to hay fever. Cool. So, how you move on then? The lead-off track. That was yeah. the first. That was the first song we wrote after those ten songs. Mm. So this, like, if 
Your Girlfriend was like the first song, the first proper song that we ever wrote. This was like the first, I, it was like the first time that we all kind of got together running room and went, oh shit, we might be onto something. Yeah. yeah. Which was it's weird. Song, one. It's one of those things, like, one of those things that you always see in like bad music biopics and you never think it actually happens. Oh yeah. That did. It's a nice warm <laughs> fuzzy feeling. It came, it came from basically, I had, um, I had an ex-boyfriend who I saw very briefly who, when we split up, decided that the most mature and appropriate thing to do would be to get a tattoo commemorating this uh, relationship because, like, you know, had a lot of feelings, I guess. He had a lot of tattoos as well. <laughs> he did have a lot of tattoos and he was like, oh, what's one more tattoo? And, yeah, it's this... Uh, it was this really terrible. Actually, it wasn't a tree; it was a cactus. But nothing rhymes with cactus. But uh, he got this whacktus. Nearly whacktus. Yeah, he got this tattoo of a cactus, and was like, "Oh yeah, it's because you're short and spiky, and like cactuses are short and spiky." He's like, oh, "Great, this is the kind of shit I'm noping out of." Um, and he's ruined cacti. He's ruined cacti. Oh, just when succulents were getting big <laughs> as well, I can't deal with cacti. Christ that kind of amazing last ditch attempt at being like you know I'm gonna make this mean something was very inspiring <laughs> and yeah that's sort of where it came from and now he's he still has it he's gonna have that until he dies that's something to think about not his worst tattoo though if no not says. his worst tattoo so, no, not by a long way my hope actually is that if we by some fluke and like finding the, the right magic lamp achieve astronomical fame that there will be an entire generation of fight milk fans that all get matching cactus tattoos being like oh, look it's that fight milk cactus tattoo that she said it was stupid to get no i wanted to start a gang war between two rival factions of our fan base one who like hear the song and immediately get the cactus tattoos and the other who hear it and just immediately are like, right, I'm never getting a tattoo. Anyone who yeah. has a tattoo is a stupid idiot. Yeah, pretty And much. then they fight in the streets, like in Quadrophenia. There you go. Oh, like in West Side Story. Yeah, okay. yeah that's probably a better move. It involves Sting less. <laughs> so Get a Grips Up next. And that's the one that's been stuck in my head all day. Oh, ah. good. Excellent. This sort of came from wanting to have a, a cool thumpy hand clap start. <laughs> like Kids in America. Um, yes. Which has no hand claps at the start, actually. It's just. Yeah. Noise, whatever. Yeah. Synth. Do you want to talk about Get a Grip? I don't really have much to say about it. It's, I just remember, like, I just remember really boring facts about it. Like, we played it when we hadn't finished writing it, and that went, that was a really dodgy gig where the drum kit, fu- no, where your guitar stopped working. And oh, me and yeah. Nick literally played free jazz for five minutes while you tried to fix it. Yeah. So all my, all my, all my <laughs> thoughts on Get a Grip are completely tangential to the song Get a Grip, mm. which is, you know, really, really great for podcast purposes, isn't it? Absolutely. Sorry. Get a Grip is sort of, there's a, there's a line in it, which is, um, Bukowski was an asshole and so are you. And it's kind of the whole song. Um, it's about extremely self-important, troubled, uh, usually young men who are like, I'm going to get really into whiskey and I'm going to wear this hat and I'm going to get like, just, I'm going to write terrible poetry and be horrible to all the women in my life, including my mum. And then I'm going to boast about it to my therapist. 
And then boast about what I said to my therapist, to my To friends. you, yeah, exactly. You know, if you know people like that, obviously you need to remove them from your life. But I mean, they do make for good lyrics. We, yeah, we, we don't get us wrong. We collectively in Fight Milk know some perfectly lovely Bukowski fans. Yes, that is true. I know at least two. I think I'm thinking of the same two. Yes, I think we're thinking so, of the same two. So, you know. Um, but there's a very specific kind of, like... Finding them is rarer than finding a decent sentiment in a Bukowski poem. Yeah, they're like philosophy graduates and they think they're really smart and they still wear, like, trilbies and fedoras and stuff. And they're making their way through that Karl Nausgaard books at the moment. Yeah, exactly. You know. It's basically Bojack Horseman's dad. Whoa there! <laughs> I would say. I can say, okay. And this song is sung from the perspective of a princess, Caroline. Caroline. Basically, yeah. We got to get to Dream Phone. Hey! That's my other favorite. It's just, it's so catchy. Excellent. I'm glad you like it. That's a synth pop song with no synths on it. I think that's probably the thing I'm proudest of. Mm. There's a Mellotron, which doesn't count. Yeah. But like, I was like, oh yeah, let's get loads of like, Keith, Keith, where are your 80 synths at? And it's just like, yeah, we don't have any. Do you want to use the fake strings? And I was like, yeah right but fully yeah Absolutely. so we just embraced it yeah very 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 heartily doing backing vocals for that was amazing because i'd go in and do some and then keith would just go more are you sure more but we've got 18 more, more backing vocals so i think yeah so. you had to sing I like, think all there together, were eight takes of you singing just dream i think all together i think i say the words dream and phone about Maybe two and a half thousand times. And that's not including the takes we didn't use. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, the extended radio edit. Yeah, I really like that one a lot. So that's going to be the next single after How You Move On as well, isn't it? I think so, Which yeah. Which is nice. Have you ever played the board game Dream Phone? No, but I am aware of it. Excellent. That's more than most people. We've really opened a lot of people's eyes to the game Dream Phone. It is amazing. It's so good. They've got, like, I think a modern version, which is just an app that's, like, you know, a mobile game. But what you want... Well, that's is Tinder. Like, that is Tinder. But what you want <laughs> is, like, the massive early 90s board game Headset, with a huge pink, fo- clunky, like, pink plastic phone. Yeah. And, you know, you're playing it and the, the boys' voices are so weird and robotic. It sounds like someone trying to do an impersonation of a human. <laughs> and, yeah. So, like, teenage I boys. I know who it is, but I'm not telling. Ha ha. Thanks for that, Brad. I'm made still it, none the wiser. Maybe it's not like David Bowie in Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear for that. Like I don't know who Bowie it is. It's like a little gnome. Brad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great. It's a great game. It's a great song. So the album's out November second. What are your plans after that? We're going on a tour. A weekend-based tour. Yes. So because we all have boring jobs, we. Actually, I think we used up quite a lot. This is so boring. We used up quite a lot of annual leave uh, earlier in the year when we went on our tour to Germany, leaving us with not very much left for the actual album tour. Mm. So we've had to sort of cobble together a little UK tour using sort of Friday evenings and weekends over the space of about six weeks. Yeah, exactly. Which is glam. But um, yeah, so after kickoff at the start of November, we're going to go to, I think, nine or ten different places. Um, yeah. We'd like to go further afield, but it's, you know, it's just like, a bit of a logistical nightmare. If, we're keep, you know, obviously, we, yeah. you've got no annual leave left. So. We're keeping to England. I think the furthest north we're going is Bradford. Yeah. But we want to do, like, 
Glasgow. We want to do Scotland. We want to do Wales. Yeah. Keep, I think we, we might. Keep, do... Someone keeps threatening a gig swap in Ireland as well, don't they? Yes, that that's right. She? Alien She, which we need to get onto. It's just, to be honest, it's it's just time and money at the moment. But I think next year. We might be in a bit of a better position. We might position. be more sensible with our annual leave. Exactly. We'll all quit our jobs and just be in a band full time and, and that'll live, end well live, for everyone. Live in a big house like the monkeys and it'll be a whole beautiful You know thing. I want that to be the case. Yeah, I've already got the Mike Nesmith hat. It'll be brilliant. Mm. How was the German tour? It was amazing. It was, it was so good. It really ruined not playing in Germany <laughs> for us. <laughs> so we were supporting the Indelicates on their Univerbreaker tour and... Um, it was yeah we piled into this big van and well, asked the, the 27 members of the indelicates yeah. and simon and julia's lovely little boy yeah Ryder. yeah yeah so yeah simon and julia brought Ryder on tour which is uh, a real baptism by fire for both a toddler and a band who've never been on tour before it was amazing oh no it was great i'm just you know wicked. we did uh on paper it's a lot berlin hamburg bielefeld which doesn't exist and Stuttgart. Stuttgart, that's it. Was it Stuttgart? It was Stuttgart. It was Stuttgart. And it was, like, just the best experience ever. Ge- like, German gig hospitality is incredible. They really, really look after their acts, and I think they kind of know, oh, well, you've come a really long way, and they, this they... is a gamble for you, and they made sure we were fed and looked after and gave us you know they gave you somewhere to, to sleep they and... gave they gave us somewhere to stay sometimes that was like the promoter's flat and it was incredible and sometimes it was like an apartment on, above the like venue. above the venue yeah which both times was pretty ropey especially the... oh no it was wicked well i really liked were you it not, were you not there for bielefeld where the bedroom had no curtains and was just mattresses on the floor apart from that precariously high bunk bed i have stayed in worse places i had a great time i'm um, for you <laughs> no it was a it was a lovely venue and all the venues were fantastic all and the, the promoters were, were amazing great. we've we've got a little polaroid on the inner sleeve of the album of the two people who put us on in stuttgart because they were just so Holger and claudia they, Holger and Claudia were just so unbelievably nice to yeah. us and so yeah. just hospitable and brilliant and that was probably the, the best show of the tour maybe even the best in a, yeah in a in an underground bunker which what? was really cool a World War 2 bunker was which best. was like yeah they hadn't put a gig on in there in like four years or something no. and it was sort of doubling up as a museum so there were some pretty disconcerting and questionable artifacts kicking around in there that you had to walk past to get to the yeah there was lots, weird... lots of like mannequins mm. <laughs> lots of, not very good with mannequins like you turn a corner and there'd be all these little sort of dorm rooms with bunk beds and stuff and you'd be like oh it's fine it's fine just go into the toilet this is fine oh jesus and then just this mannequin chucky. moving out of you yeah but it was brown good. shirt chucky brown shirt chucky um, it was great and yeah. then beyond that i don't know we're trying to write album two <laughs> got bits bits and pieces get more bits and pieces sorted yes it's got a very like we haven't mentioned them yet but we have a very very lovely understanding label which is oh, a yes. weird thing to be able to say at this juncture yeah but the fabulous reckless yes they'd probably be quite happy if we put another thing out with them at some point I so, so. probably so. work towards that tell me about the label so uh reckless yes how do we know them because Chorus them. Girl signed to them. Yes. Yeah, so and we've played with Chorus Girl a couple of times, who are just a really great indie pop band. They used to be on Fortuna Pop, I think. Like just really, really good indie pop band. They signed to Reckless, yes. And then we got in touch and we're like, yeah. 
we really love Chorus Girl. <coughs> we really love you. Because um, the li- they put the lines record out as well. Yeah, they, they did. L I I N E S. And they're just like they're quite unusual. They're quite uh, they're they're One very very like it feels very nurturing and like a family. And Pete and Sarah who who run the label together. They're based in Derby. Derby, that's it. Yeah, but we met up with them and just talked for hours and hours and hours in about the stuff. Ca- and in the cafe of the British Library yes. because we couldn't get into any pubs that day because it was the. Set, was it quarterfinal of the World Cup? It was the quarterfinal. And it was of the, the England World Cup. match. Yes. Yeah, we planned right. that well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, I th- it helps that like Pete used to be in band in the nineties called Cable. Mm, I think yeah. he was their bassist. Yes. So he kind of, like he'd been on a sort of bigish indie, and like his band had a song used in a Sprite advert. I want to say. I think so. <laughs> Some kind of soft drink commercial. So, like, he kind of... I feel like we should now just be opening a can of Sprite going... I love Sprite. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, he he's taken what he's learned from sort of that and applied it to treating bands like he would want to be treated as someone yeah. on a label as well. And They're like, a lovely label. And they yeah. really look after us. And, and it's, yeah, yeah just... Cracking bunch of lads. <laughs> Cracking bunch of lads. And we're playing with Chorus Girl in Nottingham. Yes, that's right. Rough that trade. Be nice. Yeah, and hopefully that means that we get to take some records. Yes, maybe. I really hope that that happens. Isn't that a thing? You can get records anywhere. You don't we're have to playing in a record to... shop. We're literally going to a record shop and playing a gig. The least they could do. I feel like my large son sometimes. <laughs> I just have to rein your behaviour in. And I feel like you're my tiny mother. <laughs> I just have to defy you at every turn. Yes. All right, last question. Say you had stolen a space shuttle and we're flying it directly into the sun. Oh, shit. What would you want to be listening to? Ooh. Album or song? Your choice. Okay. It's your adventure. That the is- rat. I want to be listening to the rat. Oh my god! I will play the rat, and I will be pounding on the door of the space shuttle as I hurtle into the sun. You would pick the rat, of course. You'd pick the rat. That's a brilliant choice. I think that there's a there's a likelihood that one day I will die listening to the rat. That's just you know foreshadowing my own death. I I think that that would be a good way. Flying into the sun. Flying into the sun. (laughs) You've got enough. Yeah. See. I'm the sort of person who, if I were in a situation like that and I would have the controls to pick any song, I would go hyper-literal. Ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in space. No, more literal. More literal. Even though it's not a, it's a song. Don't look back into the sun. Not well, Set the controls. Hey. I think, I hope I've got the title of the song right. Is it Ride Into the Sun by the Velvet Underground? Oh, yeah. That was Darren Heyman's choice. Yeah. Oh, was it? (laughs) I will change my choice now. I don't want to be fighting Darren Heyman's style. I feel bad. All right, no. Oh, you can both go together. No, I need to be alone for this. If we go together, we'd just be dancing on my own or something, wouldn't we? Actually, that might not be a bad choice. All right, if Fight Milk were all going and crashing into the sun together, we'd pick... Probably. No, Run Away With Me? Run Away With Me, yeah. Because we wouldn't care that we'd be about to burn alive, because that sucks. Hmm. Surely there's a Going to Buy Voices song about flying into the sun. In the oh, almost. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's like five albums about that. <laughs> I, just, I don't know if that's what I'd want to go out on. Stop What's trying the... to pick for me, dude. 
I've got this. What's that that Stars song that starts with, when there's nothing left to burn, you have oh, to set, set yourself, yourself on fire. fire. That's whatever the first track on that Your ex-lover is. is dead. Yeah, I'm not going with that one. No. Can we come back to me? Uh, after who? <laughs> uh, that's right. a very good question. Okay, um, I'm literally... The rat. <laughs> yeah, the rat is too good of an answer. I choose the rat. The rat is too damned good of an answer. All right. I'm literally just looking around my room. I'm sorry you asked you. now. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm sorry that you asked. You and Darren <laughs> Heyman can go together, you know. Just, uh... Yeah, you and Darren Heyman. <laughs> no, because no, like, he'd need room for his dogs. It'd be a whole thing. I'd just I'd wait for the next one. It's fine. Oh, this is such a good question. And I'm just doing it so little justice. Can I choose for you? Oh, you can have to. Go on then. Always on my mind by the Pet Shop Boys. That's a great answer. Why didn't I think of that? You are, and I appreciate <laughs> that. I would pick Always on my mind by the Pet Shop Boys. That's a fucking brilliant choice. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Always on my mind by the Pet Shop Boys. And then you die. <laughs> you know me better than I know the soundtrack to my certain fate in a rocket ship flying to the sun. Mm. And I appreciate that. You're welcome. Teamwork. In that you did all the work. Yes. I really enjoyed that. And that was them high-fiving you heard at the end. I can't say enough good things about the album. It's definitely one of the best of the year. You can buy it and their EP collection, Both Types of Hay Fever, at fightmilkisaband.bandcamp.com. Find them on Twitter at Fight Milk Band and Facebook as Fight Milk Is a Band. They're going on tour in the next couple weeks, so do catch them live. I saw them open for Desperate Journalists last time I was in London, and they were fantastic. I'll be posting their videos and links to Lily's Ace earlier solo stuff in the show notes at thecounterforce.net. News from me, I've been doing some surreal comedy with the Young Southpaw podcast at youngsouthpaw.com. It's endless digressions, talking a lot about music. I seem to be currently obsessed with Cynthia Rhodes, Van Halen, of course, and the latest episode is Southpaw being utterly confused by the Bon Jovi album titles. I'm moving back up to Connecticut soon, so expect some shows in New York and Boston in the coming months. Please subscribe to Young Southpaw and The Counterforce if you're digging it. There's lots more to come. And I'm going to leave you now with arguably my favorite song from the Fight Milk album. It was definitely my fave for weeks when I first heard the record. And in the episode, we talked about how lovely it is and how sincerity done properly can be just this special. This is over. Yeah.